Our passage today is going to take us right into the heart of forgiveness from Ephesians 4. Forgiving, this is not God's forgiveness of us, but it is our forgiveness of other people. And there may not be a bigger challenge in the spiritual life, a more difficult work than the work of forgiving somebody who has hurt you, slighted you, wronged you, betrayed you in some way or the other. And these are just parts of life that we all deal with, whether or not that's in our immediate family, an extended family, in marriage, at work, neighborhood, stranger at a clerk. That's uh, just part of life. For example, there's the colleague who undermines you at work, or the friend who's been talking about you behind your back, or the spouse who has been neglectful of you, the business partner who cheated you, the stranger who broke into your home and robbed you, the friend who abandoned you when you needed help, the time your parent yelled at you something so hurtful that it scarred you, the relative who abused you, the spouse who had an affair and left you. Whether or not they're big things like many of those or small things, they're all difficult and challenging. It is easy for us to talk about forgiveness. It is fairly easy to preach a sermon on it or to listen to a sermon on it. But when it comes to actually forgiving somebody who hurts you badly, that's quite another thing. It is the biggest challenge of the spiritual life. I know for me, sometimes I find myself stewing about things that happened years ago and really weren't that big of deals, I mean, compared to, to many things in life. But once we were staying at a motel in Santa Cruz, California, and the owner uh, cheats me out of $100 toward the end, and, and it, from time to time, that still bubbles up, and, I, and, I, and it bothers me. Um, coach in high school who didn't treat one of our kids fairly, you know, that, that can still bother me. Forgiving others is not an easy challenge, particularly if it's a big thing. The challenge is that when we are wronged, it's like somebody has stabbed us in the back with a knife, and then when we rehearse this wrong in our minds, it's like we're twisting the knife a little bit more. We continue to hurt ourselves. We become prisoners of our past. We become prisoners of our pain. And pretty soon, our entire bloodstream can be infected with the dread disease of bitterness that will consume us and rub our joy and steal our peace and cripple our relationships. So no wonder God wants to, in His goodness, set you free and set me free from that. He said, don't do that. Uh, I can give you the grace to forgive. Now, what we've got to understand is that if we are Christ's followers, if we have trusted Christ as Savior, we've got the gospel resources in our life, within us, to forgive the people who have wronged us, betrayed us, and hurt us. Because our God in heaven is a grace-filled God who has forgiven us of all of our sins, of of a hundred billion, no, a hundred trillion dollars worth of sin. All of our sin, He's paid for them on the cross and set us free. Then He gives us the resources to forgive the $1 million sin that somebody has hurt us with, or the $1,000 sin, or yes, Jeff, the $100 sin. We have the resources, the grace of God inside. We've got the risen, risen Christ who paid for our sin 
and by his grace, yes, we can obey the Lord and forgive the person who's hurt us. There is a lie out there. It comes straight from the pit of hell that, oh, no, this is too big. You cannot let go of this. That is a lie meant to enslave you and trap you. And God says, be free. Be free. And that's what we see this morning. If you'll stand with me, I'm going to read our brief passage in Ephesians 4 that calls us right into the heart of forgiveness. In verse 31, we read, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's Word, church. Please be seated. All righty. He starts by naming all these flavors of sin, all these streams of sin. Now, if he, he could just have made the point, look, church, let all the, let all the anger be, be done away from you. But it's as if he's got to emphasize this because it's so hard. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and brawling and slander and, and all malice, you know, every stripe and every form of the anger, get rid of it. Let it be uh, let it be let it be gone from you completely, all of it, all of it. He is so emphatic here, and, and bitterness is the deep-seated resentment, maybe the deepest kind, the long-held grudge, the really the refusal to forgive. And when you're hanging on to that resentment, it's like you've been drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die, and it doesn't work that way. You're the one with the poison. One person said, while you're carrying the grudge, they're out dancing. Bitterness, let all of it go. Then wrath, maybe better translation would be rage, because this is bitterness that boils over, it's volatile, just kind of spills over. We're used to that concept on our roads, on I-45 and highways, as people at times, never you, of course, but, but other people lose their temper at times and, you know, aren't so kind and sweet out there. Uh, you, you could have some rage at work if there is a, a volatile boss or fellow employee who erupts, or, or sometimes even in the family, yelling and screaming at a child or maybe at a spouse. Uh, rage, get rid of it, all of it. He says, then there's anger. If rage is spewing out, uh, anger is more the silent, subtle, uh, settled, sullen anger. You know, that's the anger that you see in marriage when one spouse feels hurt in the other and is a little bit self-righteous about it. And, you know, I'll show them and just give them the silent treatment and, you know, just quiet about it. Uh, that's the anger. And, and God says about that silent treatment in marriage, it is sin. Get rid of it. And if we don't obey the Lord then we're rebelling and disobeying our Savior who died for us, who forgave all of our sin. The next one, clamor, or we could call it brawling. I mean, think about the NBA playoffs recently. LeBron James and Kevin Durant, you know, these big, huge guys, six inches apart, yelling at each other. Or, you know, when the technical's flying and somebody's pushing and shoving, sometimes it spills over into everyday life. Get rid of all of that. And then slander, you know, the, the speaking 
ill of somebody behind their backs. That's the way our society conducts politics, and it just seemed like it's, it's just an almost an inevitable part of the way we do politics. But it's not just in politics. It's, it's a struggle for all of us at times. I mean, who doesn't at times struggle with slander? Uh, one of the books that I urge all of us to read is the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. It used to be in our bookstore. It may be out this morning as I've been talking about it, but uh, the pastor of the, of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, New York City, a great prayer church, in that book describes this. He said, about 20 years ago, I said something impromptu to the new members standing across the front row of our church. He said, as we received them, the Holy Spirit prompted me to add... And now I charge you that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word of criticism or slander against anyone, myself, an usher, um, a choir member, anybody at all, then stop that person in mid-sentence and say, excuse me, who hurt you? Who ignored you? Who slighted you? Was it Pastor Cimbala? Then let's go to his office right now. He'll apologize to you, and then we'll pray together so God can restore peace to this body. But we won't let you talk critically about people who aren't present to defend themselves. He said, I'm serious about this. I want you to help resolve this kind of thing immediately. And know this, if you are ever the one doing the the loose talking, we'll confront you. And he goes on to describe how to this day, every time we receive new members, he says, I say much the same thing. That's because I know that what really destroys churches is not crack cocaine. He's in kind of a drug area of Brooklyn. It's not crack cocaine, government oppression, or lack of funds. Rather, it's the gossip and slander that grieves the Holy Spirit. And God says to you and to me, get rid of all slander. It's not okay because that's the way we do politics. It's not okay because everybody else, including in the church, is seemingly, you know, doing this all the time. Get rid of it is sin. Interesting that Simbola compares it to or talks about grieving the Holy Spirit because the very previous verse in verse 30, the one right before 31, says this Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then goes right into let all the bitterness, anger, etc. So he knows that this grieves the Spirit when we're slandering, gossiping, giving the silent treatment, raging and ranting holding on to grudges, nursing wounds, all of that, we grieve the Spirit of God. The last one is malice, which is ill will, which in some ways is kind of the epitome of unforgiveness because it seems to me that one of the best signs that you're beginning to forgive somebody, because this is not always a an easy, obvious thing to know that if you've forgiven somebody, but one of the good signs that you have at least begun the forgiveness process is when you can wish good for somebody. And malice is the opposite. Malice is ill will. I don't want good for that person. I want them to, to get fired. I want them to, you know, to get hurt or some bad things happen. But when you can wish them well, when you can pray for them, I mean, that's a great sign. In fact, it's not only a sign of forgiveness. It is an encouragement to forgive more. It's just the way God wired you. If you will bless somebody and, and, and say something good to somebody or pray for them, then that helps encourage your forgiveness in your own heart that you struggle with. Get rid of all ill will. Interesting that this passage is so emphatic. I mean, several verses before, he was talking about anger, and he said, 
uh, get rid of all anger. What did he say? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity, a foothold. Because Satan really uses anger to destroy marriages, rip families apart, cause all kind of physical health problems, depression, all kind of issues. Satan uses anger and unforgiveness to destroy your lives. And we're over here like little wimps just thinking, oh, yeah, i gotta, got to hold on to this one. That's impossible to forgive this one. I can't do it. That is a lie of Satan to destroy you. Don't believe that. God has set you free. It's not easy, but you can do it by God's grace. He can give you grace. Okay, so, so a few verses earlier, he said, get rid of all anger. And then, then he uh, says, uh, don't grieve the Spirit. And then he immediately goes back into anger because that grieves the Spirit. He doesn't just say get rid of anger. He says get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, malice, slander. You know, he lists about six things. Twice he says get rid of all bitterness. And at the end, all malice. I mean, how could he be more emphatic? Clearly, this is something you better not mess with because it could really damage you and your family. Don't let it into your household. One researcher, secular researcher, did research on stress and, and said this, a secular guy. He said, the emotion that causes the most stress in, in your life is bitterness. You know, the human body, mind, and soul was not wired to hang on to anger and unforgiveness. My favorite little metaphor, image, comes from a writer by the name of Frederick Beekner. He said, of all the deadly sins, resentment appears to be the most fun. He said, to lick your wounds and savor the pain you will give back is in many ways a feast fit for a king. Now, now have you recognized this in yourself before that sometimes when you're just hanging on to anger and a grudge and silent treatment, it's kind of fun. Feel a little bit of fun in, in that. God says it's sin. Get rid of it. Okay, Bigner says it's, uh, to, to savor that pain is, is in many ways a feast fit for a king. And then it turns out that, when, what, that what you are eating at the banquet of bitterness is your own heart. The skeleton at the feast is you. You start out holding a grudge, but in the end the grudge holds you. And you are eating your own heart. Church, I mean this is serious stuff. Because all of us struggle with unforgiveness. Some of you, my heart goes out to you, some of the things you've got to. But you are destroying your life. Marriages are casualties here if there's not forgiveness. Every marriage has unforgiveness and anger at some point. That, that every marriage that ends in divorce, some degree there's a struggle of unforgiveness. Many, many other things. Some of you walked into this room this morning, and this is the message from God that will set you free and change the rest of your life if you will obey the Lord. But if you're going to listen to Satan, Satan's going to get a foothold. Church, do not leave this room holding on to bitterness and revenge. Do not do it. I'm your pastor. I'm telling you, don't do it. Let it go. You can begin the work and make the choice 
Lord, I let it go. I choose to let go of that bitterness and set yourself free. Okay, he says, get rid of all these things. Then he turns the carter and says in 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, again, he roots it in the gospel. The only way we can forgive is because we got a forgiving God who has forgiven us for that hundred quadrillion dollars worth of sin. And if he's done that for us, how can we not forgive that person who wronged us, however big that wrong is? If we got a Savior inside us who is all about grace, where we got grace on tap, as much sin as we got, God's grace is bigger, and we're drinking in that in and enjoying the grace of God. Every Sunday in communion, we celebrate the grace of God, and then we say, oh, nope, can't forgive that. I mean, how can we do that? How can we do that? Every time, every Sunday in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We know we can. By the grace of God, we can forgive those because God has forgiven us. He starts, interestingly, with be kind. You know, he's talking the whole thing about anger and forgiveness, but he says be kind. Again, um, that helps forgiveness. Just express some kindness to somebody who's wronged you and hurt you. Find some way to be you don't have to be their best buddies again, but find some way to, to express some kindness. Uh, Terry Anderson was a hostage in Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon, with, from terrorists for seven years. And uh, he was a strong believer. Now, now, hear what I just said. Some of you remember this. But seven years ripped out of his family, ripped out of all of his home. I was found seven years in a, in a cell in Lebanon in the Middle East. They set him free. I think Reagan did that, if I recall. Set him free, and he was asked, do you have bitterness for the people who held you so long? And his response, he said, I don't have any time for it. I don't have any need for it. It is required of me as a Christian to put that aside, to forgive them. I pray for them. I wish them no ill in their lives. It seems to me that if Terry Anderson who was falsely, wrongly imprisoned for seven years of his life, stolen, and he could forgive that, then, then you and I can forgive the people who've hurt us and wronged us. We can. No excuses. We can do it by God's grace. Okay, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted and compassionate. It's, the Bible is so practical. Be tenderhearted, compassionate. That is, see them, have some tenderness about you. See the person not so much as an evil person, but as a weak person, as a hurt person. You know, that helps me. I don't know if it helps you, but it helps me sometimes. Somebody's wronged me. I'm struggling to forgive them. And I just kind of remind myself, oh, yeah, they're not so, it's not so much that they're so bad, but they're so weak. They're hurt, just like all of us. Tenderhearted. Isn't that Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and then the climactic part, forgive one another. This is God's solution. It is as simple and as difficult as that. Forgive them. That simply means you make a choice to give them 
back to God. You make the choice to let go of your right to get even. You make the choice to let go of your resentment. You stop playing God in your self-righteousness and pride because that's what unforgiveness is all about. Your self-righteousness and pride, how dare they? Somebody said it's to get unforgiveness to get forgiveness out of a self-righteous person is like trying to squeeze orange juice out of granite. Not much there. So if you and I are holding on to resentment and bitterness, let's just don't uh, color it up and say it's because we so care about justice. Let's just call it what it is. It's self-righteous pride. Stinking pride. And if God in heaven and forgive me of all of my sin, how could I not choose to forgive the person who's hurt me and wronged me? We've got to. Now, let me be clear what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean that you forget the, the, the hurt. And sometimes, you know, they put forgive and forget in the same sentence. Don't ever put that in the same sentence. They don't go. It doesn't have anything to do with forgetting something. If, if your spouse uh, betrays you with an affair, you're not going to forget that. If somebody murders, Skip Strauss in our church came to me after the first service, told me the story of a woman in, in Huntsville whose son was killed by two drug addicts, broke in their home, murdered him. Later they were found that the guy who really murdered them was, was put in prison, and she began visiting him, told him that he forgave her, and eventually leads him to Christ. Now, um, She's not going to forget that. It doesn't have anything to do with forgetting. It's about choosing to let him go. Stop playing God. So it's not forgetting. It's not excusing it. You don't say, oh, that was nothing. You know, somebody hurt you at work and betrayed you. That was nothing. You know, if it's nothing, you don't have to forgive it. You just ignore it. Overlook it. But you call a spade a spade. You admit, yes, that was wrong that he did to me, and I choose to forgive them. You can't forgive it if you don't admit to yourself that it was a wrong. It's not excusing it. Thirdly, it's not tolerating it. It's not uh, a wife who's being beaten to a pole by her husband doesn't have to stay in that situation anymore. She does have to forgive her husband, but, but she doesn't have to stay in that situation. She ought to get out. It's not tolerating. Fourth, Forgiving somebody is certainly not trusting the person. You're in business with somebody. You thought he was your good friend. He steals money from you. You find out about it. Well, you've got to forgive him, but you don't have to go in business with him again. He's got to earn trust. You give forgiveness, but, but trust is earned. It's not trusting somebody. You may never trust the person again. It's not reconciling with a person. You like, you, hopefully, you reconcile, but they might be dead, or they might not be safe, or they... Uh, may not have any interest in reconciling with you. That takes two. It's, it's different than reconciling. It's not ignoring justice. That woman in Huntsville, uh, she, she didn't ignore justice. He's in the prison, but she chooses to forgive. She's not playing God. It, it's not an end to your pain. Pain keeps going often if it's very big, but you've chosen to forgive. And when those thoughts keep coming, if somebody at the first service, Jeff, what do I do, though, when the thoughts keep coming? And, 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 you know, that, that's part of the pain. But, but, but you've made the decision. You've made the choice. Yo, yes, Lord, I have forgiven that person. And I just, I just reaffirm it. I'm, I'm forgiven. Okay, that's what forgiveness is not. What is forgiveness? It is choosing to obey the Lord and let him go. It's choosing. Lord, 
you got this. I give up all of my resentment and anger. It's making a decision. Who do you need to forgive the most? Well, if you're married, the person you're married to, because that's the person that you live with, and they're pretty imperfect, and they're, they're not perfect, and, and so hopefully in little things, maybe sometimes in big things, you've got to forgive. Forgive those who are closest to you. Forgiveness expresses love. Church, that's it. That's the passage. And, and if you, 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 you came in with some bitterness and resentment and you walked out with it, then God helped you with your, your, your rebellious defiance towards God that you are unwilling to forgive after He has forgiven you for so much. He loves you, and He wants to set you free. And He didn't make His forgiveness conditional for you. You don't earn it. He washes you with it. And because we are washed with so much forgiveness that we're drinking from every day, God will give us the wellsprings to forgive the people who've wronged us and set somebody free yourself. Live in freedom. Live in freedom. Here's the most powerful story of forgiveness that I know. It came, comes out of South Africa. No surprise because they had so much of it to deal with with their apartheid situation until the government uh, changed the apartheid system and, and later as part of that they had this commission for truth and reconciliation. Here's the story. A South African woman stood in the emotionally charged courtroom listening to the white police officers acknowledge the atrocities they had perpetuated in the name of apartheid. Officer Vanderbroek acknowledged his responsibility in the death of her son. Along with others, he had shot her 18-year-old son at point-blank range, and he and the others partied while they burned his body. Eight years later, Vanderbroek and others arrived back at her home to seize her husband. A few hours later, shortly after midnight, Vanderbroek came to fetch her, took her to the woodpile where her husband lay bound. She was forced to watch as they poured gasoline over his body and ignite the flames that consumed the body. The last words that he said that she heard were the words, forgive them. And now Vanderbroek stood before her awaiting judgment. South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission asked her what she wanted. She said, I want three things. I want Mr. Vanderbroek to take me to the place where they buried my husband's body, where they burned my husband's body. I would like to gather up the dust and give him a decent burial. Second, Mr. Vanderbroek took away all my family from me, and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. Third, I would like Mr. Vanderbroek to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like someone to lead me to where he is seated so I can embrace him and he can know my forgiveness is real. And I think, whoa. And as the elderly woman was led across the courtroom, Vanderbroek fainted overwhelmed. Someone began singing Amazing Grace, and gradually everyone joined in. Because church, 
us forgiving other people is really, it starts with the amazing grace of God. And if you've not received that, then do so. It's free. It's the greatest gift ever. And having received that, let it wash over you and spill out to the people who hurt you. Do it. Stand with me. Just right now, do business with God. Ask Him if there's somebody that you need to forgive or even renew the forgiveness. Just ask Him and be quiet. Let it go. Let it go, dear church. Let it go. Friend, if you're here and you've never received God's forgiveness for you, why don't you do it right now? Deal in grace. Receive it and then give it. Just breathe a prayer. Jesus, I now receive your grace. Yea, God. Amen.